Listener Production. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us and welcome to Hookline and Sinker's Boat Shed. In this series, we invite you to join us as we search for what it is that makes the perfect boat and what it is that probably doesn't. This is episode four, The Boat Fit Out. I'm Luke McCredden and with me is Andrew Hart and Nick Digan from the hit TV show Hook, Line and Sinker. So far in this series, we've covered the lengthy and often arduous process of buying a boat. We've worked through what's involved in really honing in what it is that you need and we've helped you set sail on your maiden voyage while stepping you through the do's and don'ts of boat launching. If you've survived all that and are becoming an obsessed boat owner like we are, it's time to make your boat even better because in the words of my good friend Nick Digan, boats are never finished. Always, Luke, a work in progress. We've got a boat, Bertram 25 boat, big boat, uh, and we've probably thrown, I don't know, $80,000 at it over and above its purchase price. And Andrew and I are having serious discussions last night about whether we should install a diesel heater into it (laughs) to make the interior of it more cosy. Well, Um, the weather's been so terrible uh, lately, Nick, and uh, a a little diesel heater would mean we'd have to get diesel from somewhere, so a little separate diesel tank. It's a petrol-powered <laughs> boat. it's a $2,000 um, exercise. But and, uh, our local Chandlery shop, which is where all good boat owners, yep. well, all boat owners should go, uh, has a diesel heater as you walk in the door, just blowing hot air oh, on yeah. you, and it's been enough to get us interested. Yes. So just another couple of thousand there, Nick. Um, yeah, so but, it's, um, it's kind of illustrates the point that no matter what your boat is, there will always be something else that you can put on board to make it better or to, you know, tickle you in that particular way. Yeah, there's always the question of what you need. There's a lot of what you don't. But there's <laughs> yeah, probably, a lot of what you don't. There's probably things that you've got that you could perhaps upgrade. And I think yeah. uh, to, to have a look at the boat from front to back, you can really look at some of the basic stable things and really start stepping them up like, Andrew, even something as simple as an anchor. Well, you know, things like an anchor you have to have uh, to be compliant. You have not to have negotiable. Not negotiable. You, you know, must have Diesel heaters, so... negotiable. <laughs> Correct. Anchors, not negotiable. Correct. Let's look at anchors just briefly. Um, the simple anchor is a rope. With a little bit of chain, the more chain the better, in in all honesty, because the chain does the anchoring for you, and an anchor, sand anchor or a plough anchor, yeah. a Danforth so, anchor. Yeah, there are lots of different about. names for anchors. <laughs> a bit <laughs> annoying, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Just an anchor. Yeah. Or you could get an anchor winch. Yes, indeed, you could, which, um, you know, I would strongly recommend. Once you go above about, what, let's say, once your boat's Six above... Meters six metres, it should have an anchor winch because then you don't have to pull up the anchor. I messed around. This is if you're not into spending another $2,000 on your boat for an anchor winch. Yep. Um, I messed around with a thing called an anchor retrieval boy, Andrew. Have yes. you ever seen those? Which is kind of like an act of magic if you haven't seen it done. I yes. would I would amaze people with my anchor retrieval boy. I saw Rex Hunt do it back in the uh, early 90s, I think, on yeah. his show. Yes. And uh, so, you, yeah, it's a boy with a, a metal loop on the end, isn't it? Yeah, so basically, so you have your anchor out, you know, generally speaking in deep water, and then what you do is clip your buoy to the anchor line, and then you drive your boat toward the anchor, drive yes. up the anchor, and as your boat drives up, the buoy slides down the line, then onto the chain, eventually picking up the anchor and um, brings it up to the surface. It's quite clever. That's just a bit of an aside, but an anchor winch is better than that. 
Anchor winches are great. There's different types. So if yep. you've got a big cruiser, you know, you've probably got a, a uh, vertical style and it's all chain yep. and it's quite slow. But in boats, we're talking about sort of fishing boats, sort of five, six, seven metres. You can get a big drum anchor winch and they're very, very good. They're fast. You've got rope on them onto your chain and um, they can free fall. So you can anchor in, you know, 20, 30, 40 metres of water, no problems, and then just push a button and uh, and it comes up for you. Yeah, those drum winches have kind of revolutionised it over yep. the, the course of the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, I guess. So yep. They've become very popular. They're very good. If you're uh, if you're thinking about it, so, yep, you can, uh, you can pimp your anchor, Luke, no yeah, doubt about lots that. lots of benefits there too. Obviously, just the speed in which you can bring your anchor up and move from A to B, you're not mucking around too much. There is a safety aspect of it, I suppose. It's a lot easier just to flick a switch and the anchor can come up than get up the front in yep. potentially rocking conditions. And also, it saves that manual labour, Nick. Saves the exhaustion. Anytime you can save a bit of manual labour, Luke, I'm a subscriber. But it doesn't stop there because uh, obviously another staple on a boat are lights. And obviously by law, you're required to have navigational lights, anchor lights, etc. But the sky's the limit for lights. Yeah, well, it's good to fish overnight. It's good to fish, you know, before the sun comes up. So as you mentioned, you know, compliance issues. Again, all boats have to have nav lights and they have to have an anchor light. But what they don't have to have are sort of aft pointing spotlights. They don't Mm -hmm. have to have strip lighting down underneath the gunnels. Cabin lights up inside the V-berth. A particular favourite of yours, Drew, and yes. has been fitted to the last bunch of boats All that boats. we've done it at fairly substantial expense. You'd be must surprised be, actually <laughs> how much they are. <laughs> are those underwater lights? Uh, yeah. You may you may have seen these. So these are lights actually fitted to the hull that um, shine backward in the water, and sometimes they'll change colour. Or if you've got a little strobe. module, they'll strobe to the uh, beat <laughs> of the music if you if you like that. Yep. But Andrew, you have sold these to me on several occasions as important <laughs> devices to have from a um, from a fish aggregating oh, perspective. Absolutely. No, they attract fish. Don't worry about that. But they also look really cool. If you uh, stay out overnight, anchor in a little bay somewhere, flick the switch and boof, there's a big mm. blue light just lighting up the bay and you can see fish and seals and dolphins and all sorts of things come and swim underneath your boat. I'm led to believe that green is the colour for attracting fish. Is that right? Yeah. I think I remember being on a marlin fishing trip and Andrew saying, turn the lights on because they'll reflect (laughs) off the propeller as it spins and that will attract more marlin. And as I switched them on, I thought, that sounds like a BS. (laughs) But... Then we've got a bite. No. Yeah, 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 probably. But uh, no, nice to have, particularly if you're staying out overnight. Nice to have, but also... Squid and things like that. Yeah, no, no party lots. It's non-negotiable. You have to have them. Uh, Just be prepared for your jaw to drop when you go to buy them. (laughs) Correct. But lights that I think all boats should have, if you're going to fish overnight, are big spotties that shine down from the sort of cabin roof down into the cockpit. Very useful. And also, yeah, the strip lighting underneath the gunnel, mm. very, very useful. And the glory of all this, you know, back in the day, lights used to suck battery yes. power a lot, you know. So if you had the lights on, there was every chance next morning you woke up and you couldn't start your engine because <laughs> yes. the lights had uh, drained every ounce of electrical. Particularly those party lights. Yes. Uh, but nowadays, <laughs> LED lights seemingly use no power at all. So you can no. light them up, and particularly if you've got two batteries in your boat, which brings us to another upgradable item. But yes. um, lights are now power cheap, so it's good. Mm, let's talk about that then, Nick. You're all about multiple batteries. Yep. Is it a vital no, it's not a vital, no. Um, but once you start getting up again in size and once you start adding, like we're talking about, adding anchor winches and yep. lights and things like that, then dual battery system is a good 
place to start as an upgrade. It's, you know, there's nothing worse than being out there with a flat battery because if, you're flat, if you've got a flat battery and you've got a reasonably large engine, there's no way of starting mm, no. than getting more electricity from so somewhere. I think that life is too short for dodgy batteries. Yeah. So the first thing I would do if I bought a second-hand boat is probably check the battery at least. Yeah. And if it's if there's any sort of yes. dodginess about it, just stick new batteries in it. Yes. And then, yeah, dual batteries are great. So you can have a, a crank battery that's just for starting the engine yep. and then a big house battery, like a deep cycle house battery that runs all of your lights and all of your fridges and whatever else. And that way you know that your engine's always going to start. Those dual battery systems forever and a day have been controlled by a little sort of a switch, an isolated Isolate switch, switch, so you can be on one battery or both batteries or the other battery. Anyway, nowadays you can get a switch that basically does all that thinking for you. So whenever your start battery goes below a certain level, it just takes that out of the equation. So you can't supposedly flatten your start battery. You can flatten your party battery and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, that's the time to go to bed. Yeah. Uh, but your start <laughs> battery will go in the morning. So that's not a bad way to go either. Andrew, this might sound a little bit silly. Every boat is some form of steering. Yep. How is it possible to upgrade steering? Oh, it's very possible. So if you've got a sort of an older boat with cable steering, so you've got a steering wheel and it's sort of, it's steered by a cable that runs from the steering wheel down to the motor and, you know, got pulleys and whatever else, you'll find that the steering is very, very heavy. You can upgrade it by putting in hydraulic steering, like a C-Star hydraulic steering system, and you'll find it's just like steering a car. It'll make a, a huge difference. Yeah, no, cable steering, very hard to go back to. You know, yep. cable steering, there is quite a big cable that turns, as I understand it. So, you know, go, running the length of your boat is a cable in a sheath turning and it's horrible. And it also, you know, because boats have a propeller turning one way, always with a cable steering boat, it'll turn really well to port and not very well to starboard. So, you know, it just makes it a bit of an ordinary thing. Once you've had hydraulic steering, you'll find it very, very unpleasant mm. going back to cable steering. Yep. I can't so remember. Just, it's just another upgrade, dogs. just another couple of grand. Yeah, I think you probably get it done for, you know, 1500 Drew, so you yeah. buy yourself a little present with the other 500 <laughs> <laughs> All boats should be fitted out with some form of radio, particularly the safety variety, VHF, um, but there's yep. endless upgrades you can do in that space with audio and turning it into, well, to go with your party lights, yes. Andrew. Uh, yeah, we actually had a boat system. recently which had speakers, which also had lights in the speakers <laughs> and the, the speaker lights then sort of, Flickered with the music, yeah. strode with the music. Um, it just made it such a great experience. It just made it so much better and us <laughs> yeah. catch so many more fish. Yeah. Um, but no, so VHF radio is at the minimum that you'd have in your boat. Mm. They, they're fantastic. They're monitored pretty much right the way around Australia now. So there's, if you get in any trouble, jump on that. There are rules. You're not meant to say mayday unless it's an emergency. But if it's an emergency, jump on there and say mayday, mayday, and someone will come and pick you up. Um, but yeah, you need to have a stereo. These days, it's Bluetooth one. A decade ago, it was one that you that you inserted your phone into. Now, it's all Bluetooth and, and quite loud and quite... Well, you loud. need to be able to listen to your favourite podcast. Well, that's exactly Correct. right. No, on the... And VHF radio, I guess, in certain states and in certain areas, if you're going offshore, whatever, uh, VHF will be part of your mandated mm, safety yes. equipment. And I guess the, um, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I've got my phone. Uh, why do I need this sort of semi-antiquated feeling VHF radio thing, 
And I guess, you know, the short answer to that is if you do get off a mayday call or a distress call with your VHF radio, then everybody who is within the broadcast radio or broadcast area of that radio will hear it. You know, if you're on your phone, that's only going to a single point of interest. Mm. So I guess that's part of, uh, um, you know, the usefulness of VHF radio, plus all the, you know, Coast Guard stations and whatever else have VHF radio. So if you're going out for the day, it's a good idea to log on with them and log off when you come back. You are actually meant to have a VHF radio license. Yes, you are. It's not pleased, but no. it, I've got mine. Um, obviously, I, I've got Do my you? coxswains and my VHF <laughs> marine radio operator's license. Could you produce it? Uh, <laughs> I'd be interested know. to see that. But I do certainly have it. But um, it just sort of says that you can't get on there and you shouldn't Excuse get on there. swear words. Yeah, swear to your mates and whatever yeah. else. But, yeah, so Channel 16 is what you want to be on all the time and yep. that's the one you want to get your mate call off or Pan Pan or Correct. Securite, Securite, Securite. You probably don't know what that means, Luke. <laughs> no, uh, I don't have my licence. Um, but on to your point, Nick, the phones, yep. that's what you use for getting onto your mates and you can swear and do what you oh, want look, on your phone. Oh, look, by all means, use your radio. Um, by all means, get on the radio and say over and all that sort of stuff. It's quite cathartic. Yeah, you roger know, that. Yeah, roger that. Roger Wilco, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll see you there, that sort of thing. Um, no, not bad. You can pretend you're sort of interstate trucker uh, on the radio. <laughs> We don't do it that often, but we no. do use the, uh, the the Coast Guard services and stuff. Yeah, we have it on 16. You can also yep. have it scanning the, the frequency. And what you'll do, if, you, if you're scanning, you will hear all that other chat and it just yep. gets, it drives me nuts after a while. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you got a fish over here, mate. Yeah, yes. I got one over here too, mate. Yeah. <laughs> just shut up, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing here. Nothing to see here. <laughs> hey, something else that probably doesn't always come with a boat when you buy that is a bilge pump. And well, it's, yeah, it, it should. A bilge pump is a pretty good thing if you start sinking. Turn mm. the bilge pump on. Yeah, so, you know, your bilge is the lowest point in, in your boat and uh, if you are sinking, as Andrew says, uh, that's where the water's going to aggregate first. So a bilge pump's usually just a little, you know, in a small boat, you can have a, a little baler bucket just to think, yes. you know, what's the saying? Nothing moves water faster than a scared man with a bucket. Yes. But, you know, a bilge pump obviously runs off the electrical system little 12-volt bilge pump. I think they're mandated, aren't they? You've got to have something, either a baler bucket or a bilge pump, mostly, I think, in boats. Yeah, I think state by state, it varies a little bit. I think there's probably a size at what where yep. your boat gets to that you need to have that sort I of have, thing. Uh, I, I have a boat which has a leak, and as my old man would say, <laughs> that uh, all good boats make water. Mm, um, not so, sure. So, <laughs> um, you know, you would have to, on a, on a certainly on a, two-day basis, go and pump the boat out if you were leaving it on the mooring. Um, but a good upgrade for that is an automatic bilge pump, you know, mm. so you can get plenty yep. of bilge pumps that have got a little switch or a, some sort of method of detecting if there's water in the bilge and they'll switch themselves on automatically. Good things. Happy days. Plenty of boats have sunk with those in them, though, because you think, oh, well, this should be right, automatic <laughs> bilge pump, and if something gets stuck in there or the battery runs flat, it doesn't work. No, no. Now, Nick, tell me about auxiliary propulsion. Something yes. you're passionate about. Look, <laughs> um, again, in the safety regs, a lot of uh, states say that you must either have an auxiliary motor. You would have seen that. It was a big thing, you know, back in the day. It's less sort of prominent now, but you'd see someone with a big engine and then alongside, you know, on a little bracket would be a small engine. That would be their auxiliary. So typically that was there as a sort of safety backup. If the big one stopped, you 
could come home on the little one. I have had personal experience of coming home on the little one because we had a very unreliable um, big engine when I was a kid. And it takes you a long time <laughs> to get anywhere, you know, in a five and a half metre boat on a 10 horsepower engine. It takes a long time. You do four yeah, knots. Particularly in, if you're against wind and oh tide and whatever God. else. Um, I remember thinking at the time that this isn't a particularly effective method of getting mm. anywhere. Look, the other thing they say is that if you haven't got an auxiliary engine, you should carry a paddle. Mm. So I think <laughs> probably yeah. the auxiliary engine, you know, is preferable to a paddle. I, I don't like auxiliary engines. I don't want to have one. I don't have them typically in any boats. I do now. New engines are so good that... I haven't had the need. Touch wood. I mean, we drove, a, we drove a boat around Tasmania and explored the very remote southwest coast, which is as remote as boating can get you. Yep. I mean, it's not even on the VHF radio network yep. with a single 200-horsepower Yamaha in the back. Yeah, and, and likewise, didn't think twice. we did 300 miles through mm. the Kimberley yep. on a single – look, if it stops – You've got an issue. You can't really paddle. No, you can't paddle. If you had a 15-horsepower auxiliary, you'd get somewhere. It would be arduous, but yeah. So I guess it's it's horses for courses. I don't love them. If I, if I had a 1970s two-stroke, yes. yep, whack an, whack an auxiliary on. In fact, I've got a 1990s two-stroke and that boat carries an auxiliary engine. You're listening to Hook, Line and Sinker's Boat Shed with Luke McCredden, Andrew Hart and Nick Digan. If you're enjoying the series, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Just hit five stars and tell us what you like about the series and why. You can get in touch with us and say day on our Facebook page, Hook, Line and Sinker, Australian Fishing Show. Time to get a little bit serious now, depth sounders. Where do we look and how much should good we way spend? To, are we saying is it, is it a, it's a necessity? It pretty much is a necessity. Yeah, Why know. wouldn't you have a depth sounder? Well, a depth sounder tells you how deep the water is, yep. which is a good safety feature to start with yep. because sometimes the water's murky, yep. so you can't see how deep yep. it is. So if you know that it's you know over a couple of metres deep, you know you're not going to run into the bottom. But let's start at the beginning with depth sounders before we get to today's depth sounders. What? This um, sounds like a history lesson. Yeah, I did a little Ooh, bit of history. What? I wow. did a little bit of depth sounder history overnight. So it was back in Luke, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure I feel comfortable about It was back in uh, in 1913, I think, that a German man called Alexander Byrne, maybe, um, (laughs) believed (laughs) believed that he could measure the depths of the ocean using what? Using sound waves. Mm -hmm. Correct, sound waves. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he patented that technology, which wasn't really any technology that size, until the US Navy got their hands sort of on it, and they created in about 1919 the first proper sort of depth sounder called the Hayes Sonic Depth Sounder. It would tell them how deep the water was. It would shoot sound waves from a transducer on the boat down to the bottom, and the sound waves would hit the bottom, bounce back to the transducer on the boat, and then there was a very, very complicated uh, mathematical equation. Yes. And that you put that in and it would tell you how deep the water was. Okay? okay. Then not much happened for about 30, 30 years or so. So, okay. but yeah, they were commercially made fathom meters, they were called, until after Second World War, two brothers in Japan yes. called the Furuno brothers hypothesized oh, that, that yeah. they could use this technology to bounce sound waves from bubbles. No. Yep. Bubbles. And let's say, for example, that fish have swim bladders, so there's your bubble. So they could bounce sound waves off fish. 
okay? This is right. Okay, so stick with me. So, and then using two different frequencies, one frequency for the fathom meter to get the bottom reading. Yeah. They then used another frequency for their bubble reading. Yeah. Again, shooting sound waves from the same transducer. Yeah. They could see a picture that provided uh, a line for the bottom and then if there's fish between the bottom and the top, you'd get uh, a reading. A reading. Wow. Hmm. And that's pretty much uh, how it works to this day, is it not? Pretty much. It hasn't really evolved all that much. Well, it used to be, you know, printed out on paper. Yes. And nowadays it's a it's a reading on a digital colour screen. And, you know, the colours mean different things. So depending on the brand of the sound of it, you know, a red red will mean it's harder than a yellow. Yep. But it's sort of an exciting time now in the world of fish finders because they're going just ridiculous. I think in the next sort of decade it's going to be like watching TV. Mm. It sort um, of almost is that now, you know, yep. with live and mega imaging and all that sort of stuff. Yep. We have fished with people who can tell you what species of fish the fish is on the fish farm. Well, it looks like. I mean, yeah. Barra in particular, Barramundi in particular, or Barramundi and the Threadfin Salmon, you can actually tell what the species of fish is because they just look like it on the, on the mega imaging. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend to tell you how mega imaging works, but we're about to put a, a new sounder on our new boat, which is a 360-degree sounder. So it's scanning right the way around the boat, so uh, not just down underneath us. It's sort of going to scan 50 metres Right the way around the boat. And You're almost looking at fish photos structure now, Pretty much. Mm. And, and, it's almost know, video now. Mm. Yeah, live, yeah. you know, live it, returns and other, that sort of stuff. The other thing is the transducers have come a long way too. Obviously, there's the really high power transducers, which people that fish in 300, 400 metres of water way, yep. way out yep. are actually able to get readings in that depth, uh, yep. which probably wouldn't have happened 10 years ago or no, 20 years ago. No, the commercial fleet's always had them, but I think now that the, now that boats have become more reliable and, and that trailer boats can get out to those depths, there's been a, sort of more of a demand for those commercial-style transducers. So the question is how much you spend. Uh, you can spend as much as sixty or $70,000 if really you want can. to. You really can. You honestly can. So there are people building new boats, $150,000 trailer boat, and putting 50 grand's worth of fish Electronics, yeah. I'm not saying that that's what you need to do, but... Look, you can spend 150. You can. You can spend 150 and get a, a little sounder that'll tell you the bottom reading. Show your fish. Show your fish. Yep. Um, and that's fine. So it just depends what you want to do with it. I would recommend somewhere between 1000 and... $3,000 is probably a very, very good unit for yep. you that will do everything yep. uh, most boaties will need and that will give you a good reading. It sounds a lot, but it's actually a really, really great tool, the depth sounder. And I think the question we're asking is, what do I need? Depth sounder, I think you need one. This yep. day oh, age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, need, you need it one as a minimum and then depending on how much you fish, you can go up from there. Now, a lot of the time you'll see the, the depth sounders and the, the, all the screens and bells and whistles on the, the dash of the boat yep. and quite often attached to those or part of those is the GPS element of it. Well, that's right. So, you know, typically most high-end depth sounders will have a, a GPS-capable aerial in them and GPS obviously is the global positioning system, Luke, which you, will... Nick pinpoint where you are on the world. You know, I have, um, I've done some uh, research into this. <laughs> but basically GPS is a, is a beautifully simple system. Well, it's not simple in that you've got to launch a heap of satellites. But so there's that. So the Ameri the GPS system, who do you reckon overlook, oversees the GPS system, Andrew? Uh, ASIO. No, it is the United <laughs> States Space Force. 
You know, what's Space Force done for me recently? Well, <laughs> GPS is what they have done for you. Space Force, I was right. interested to learn. So, Space Force. Yep. yep. So really, um, you Space know. Space Force, Nick speaking. Got going, you know, back in the 70s. Someone thought this is a good idea. We are playing around with. Basically what it does is your GPS satellite sends out a position and a yep. time. Yep. And once you get enough of them and a little receiver on the ground, your little receiver just works out how long it took for the signal to come from that one, that one, that one. You need four to get a position and it's just that little difference in time that it takes the radio wave to travel from that satellite as opposed to the other three satellites in the network and that will tell you where you are. So your GPS doesn't it just a receiver. It just receives these time signals. And the Yanks, yep, started in about, I think, came up with the idea in 73, got it mobile by about 1993. And it was a military thing, obviously, because it was good for controlling, you know, intercontinental ballistic <laughs> missiles and the like. Um, very helpful in that space. But what they used to do then during sort of the next 10 years when it was their baby, they could turn it up or down for other people. So, you know, if you didn't have the the special decoder for that particular day... Yeah, like a James Bond film, there's always decoders. They could um, decrease the accuracy of it. So, you know, if you weren't in the know and they turned down the accuracy, then you could be a long way off from where you thought you were. And and I think the Russians actually shot down a Russia, uh, not a, a Korean 747, which had strayed into some sensitive airspace because it wasn't getting great GPS. Oh. Uh, you know, 300 <laughs> people died. And from that moment forward, they said, perhaps it's best that we don't screw too much with GPS. So they made it law that GPS be on and it, that it be accurate. And um, since then, you know, that's the American system. There's now a Russian system. And, you know, various sounders will actually look at the American system and the Russian system and give you very, very good um, positioning yep. information. Our drone yeah. uh, that we use to take pictures on the fishing show gets both signals. So it gets GPS and whatever the Russian Yeah, it tells you called. it's locked on to like 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Chinese are building a GPS system. The Indians are building a GPS system. It's, she's on. Yeah. So, but from a boating point of view, that's good. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I remember doing it. I've, I've done a, um, a cross-straight long-distance boat run yep. before GPS. Yeah. And I was in the in sort of overcast conditions out of sight of land for two hours driving my boat. Yeah. And then when land suddenly arrived, I had no idea <laughs> in the world where I was. Yeah. And my, you know, my dead reckoning skills were so poor that um, I had to get out the chart, you know, literally the paper chart and decide, well, we, I think I'm there, but as it turned out, we were where we were supposed to be. Yeah. So GPS from a boating perspective is very, very handy. Not only does it tell you where you are, but obviously you can mark points of interest. You can mark fishing locations and you can repeatedly go back to those fishing locations time and time again. Back in the day, you would line up that bit of a road on that island, how it corresponded with a rock somewhere else, you know, three yeah. points, you could line up where you're going. GPS has taken away all the need for that. It puts you exactly where you want to be. And, and, and you know, now with plotters which have maps built in, you know, so there's a map behind you with the overlay of where the rocks to hit are and whatever else. So I wouldn't have a boat without a GPS no. um, thing. They're so cheap now. A little GPS plotter is, what, 500 bucks yeah. or something like that. But I um, think the best way to go is a combo, yeah. you know, a fish finder sounder yeah. GPS combo. Yeah. And again, you know, 
That'll probably dollar mark. That'll probably um, sit inside that bracket that you mentioned, Andrew, of a thousand to a two and a half, three thousand. Yeah, and so it'll split screen, and you can on one side of the screen it'll have a map okay. show you exactly yep. where you are, have all your fishing spots. The other side of the screen will show you the fish, and uh, it will change your, your life. boating life if yes. you've never had one. <laughs> Electronics don't stop there, Nick. There's an endless list of things you can add to the boat, which creates a bit of a monster in terms of uh, GPS, like we were talking yep. about, but things like radar and autopilot, and it's just unbelievable. Yes, it is. And look, if we're saying that a depth sounder is a minimum and a GPS is a nice thing to have on top of that, then, you know, where do you stop? Radar, I guess, Hardy, we have played around a little bit with radar. You know, radar, I guess, typically back in the day was a navigational tool. It would show you things that wouldn't be there necessarily on a map. So, you yeah. know, if you couldn't see a big ship bearing down on you because there was fog, radar will pick that out. But it's become more of a fishing tool, I guess, of recent times, hasn't it? A little bit. You can actually see the weather coming on it. You can see, you know, rain and storms. Um, you can see birds. You can see flocks of birds. So good radar will, will actually pick up a flock of birds, which will mean if you're out to sea, uh, and there's just nothing for miles around, yet over here, say, two miles is, you know, a ping on the radar, which is a flock of birds. You go over there and sure enough, there'll be fish under those birds because birds find the fish. Again, it's, it's you know, we're getting sort of upper end. We're getting yeah, we expensive are. when yes. we're talking about that. Um, autopilot, it's, it's, again, one of those things that if you've never had, you probably won't miss it. But once you've had it, very good. Yeah, and I think there's a boat size element to an autopilot. You know, yep. autopilots don't work particularly well in small boats or, you know, even six metre boat with an autopilot. It's all right when it's going slow, but it's not great when it's going fast because, you know, you kind of need to drive those yes. size boats through any sort of sea state. So an autopilot, yep. um, you know, in rough water gives you a pretty awkward ride, I reckon. Yep. Um, but if you're trolling and you're, you know, looking out the back at your lures and you can flick the autopilot on, beautiful. Yep. Um, and again, because all this sort of stuff has filtered down from big boats into smaller boats and into, the, you know, consumer range, mm. you know, the, the prices you're talking about, they're substantial, but they're not, you know, extortionate. Again, that sort of 1500 two grand, you yeah. can probably have an autopilot. And it all adds up. We're up to a lot at the moment. Trim tabs are another very good thing, particularly if your boat doesn't sit right, if it doesn't trim right. Trim tabs will sort of straighten you up. So if your boat leans to one side or the other when you're up cruising, uh, trim tabs, there's sort of two little flaps that go on the back of your boat um, and they're controlled at the helm and uh, you can you can use those to, to straighten your ride up and also pin your nose down or get your nose up if necessary. Again, it's one of those things, if you've had them, yeah. they're really good, they're great. You know, people can kind of sit wherever they want to in the boat, yeah. which is nice, and you can correct any sort of lateral movement with the trim tab. So, again, good. Again. I saw a set of auto ones the other day. Did you, the bloke yeah. was just raving about them. Really? So, auto trim tabs, so run on something, I don't know, but if the boat starts to lean over, they just they automatically just do, it. Yeah. do it. Pretty cool. Electric yeah. motors are a thing. Electric motor is very much a thing. In fact, we're getting uh, – and so these what we're talking about are the, um, you know, typically bow-mounted electric mm. motors that you see. Ming Coder is a big brand. Um, we're getting a new boat done, a new bar crusher, which um, we are having fitted a large-ish electric bow-mount engine hardy, and we're not having an anchor winch fitted to that boat, Luke. You'll be interested to know because okay. all of the anchoring, aside from anchoring close to shore and on the beach or whatever, will be done – 
using the electric motor. Yes, we did this the other day in another boat with an electric motor and it was fine. So good yeah. battery management system So you got and good batteries so you yeah. can run your electric motor all day. And, yeah, so using GPS, the electric motor will actually lock onto a spot. So you just press the anchor button on your electric motor remote control yes. and it will just hover there against wind, against tide, and it will hold you there in that spot. And, and nowadays uh, you can launch your electric motor remotely. Yes. So you don't, you it's know, good. you used to have to go up the front and faff around with it and put it over the side and, you know, push a button on it. Nowadays, yeah, that's all gone. You just press a button from your remote control and it launches itself. It's quite something to see. It's a good way to steal somebody's boat because you can actually, uh, you know, send their boat out into the middle of the river, which we have done, Andrew. Yes. Uh, and bring it back remotely with nobody in it. Disclaimer, don't do that. No, electric motor is very, very good. Look, we should just touch on the fact that, well, we're sponsored by Yamaha. We've been out in a Nyad, a big boat, with their new 425-horsepower engines. Now, those have independent digital steering, joystick control. So you've got two of them. And so you've got two massive engines doing the exact same thing as the electric motor can do, which is hold you in a position. Yes. It can and, drive and, your and boat this, sideways. It can drive your boat round in circles, whatever you like. This is coming. This is yep. probably the next big thing I think that we'll see in boating and that's that dynamic positioning, you know. Yep. So this is two engines and I think, you know, there, there's talk that it might be able to be done um, – down the track with one, but, um, you know, doing amazing things. The boat does all the thinking and the steering. The engine's actually got the steering contained within it, so there's no necessary to have, you know, hydraulic steering or anything. No. It's pretty futuristic stuff and it's quite amazing to use. It'll be here next year. Well, yeah. it's here now, but um, it'll be here next year for smaller outboards as well. So um, there's always an upgrade that you can do mm. if you want to. Mm. It's getting very high end mm. here. So let's, let's, uh, let's just bring it back a little bit and just talk about a couple of other things things that you can add to your boat, which will change the game a little bit for you in that it will make things a bit easier, a bit cleaner and a bit more user-friendly, particularly with fishing for these next couple of things. But something like a bait board, Andrew, uh, could be as simple as a bit of Teflon on, a, on the gunnel, but you can also get big structures now that can be permanently fixed to the side of the boat or the back of the boat, I should say, um, which can have all sorts of things, accessories and um, storage and all that sort of stuff, which are a big thing when you, if you're a fisherman. Yeah, they're very good because your workstation's going to be down the back in the cockpit and a good solid bait board is the key. And look, there's a few different options. You can get them sort of made, custom built for you to fit into rod holders or to be bolted on the back of the boat. But no, look, bait boards are, are key. Um, I would say drink holders are important. You to would, have drink you know, holders suspect, around this, the This boat. is all the sort of stuff um, as you use your boat. Yes. As you become more familiar with your boat yes. and, and the things that you do in it, there are going to be gaps, things that it doesn't have, things that you are relatively cheaply, not like radars and stuff like that, yeah. that you're going to want to add to it. Yeah. Um, you know, as you say, a bait board, if you go fishing a lot, a bait board's a great thing. It's a good spot for cutting your bait and yes. uh, filleting your fish, filleting you your to, yeah. fish, that sort of stuff. Um, rod holders, um, you know, all boats I reckon should have rod holders. Yes. Um, and so they're, they're just the flat gunnel mount rod holders. Yep. Let's put six in. So two at the back pointing straight back. This is the golden rule of rod holders. We've, yep. we've done a few boats recently and it's pretty simple. Yeah, six is a good number. Yep. You might not have six rod holders. You might not, Four. might not have six rods. But no. um, yeah, so two at the back, as you say, pointing, they're angled, so they're pointing straight back. Yep. And then halfway along the gunnel, two at a 45 degree angle pointing back. Yep. And then a bit further up toward the helm, two at sort of 90 degrees pointing straight out. 
yep. at the site. If we're talking about rods, a rocket launcher, you know, a rod mm. rocket launcher is a fantastic thing. Again, it's going to probably have to be custom built. You can buy off the rack ones, but they're a little bit flimsy. Um, so a custom built stainless steel rocket launcher allows you to store, you know, up to 10 rods, if you like, out of the way, up above the helm, really. Something that I think is a must-have for anglers these days is a deck wash. Comes yep. in very, yes. very handy. Best two hundred and thirty dollars you'll ever spend. Yeah. Um, so that's a deck wash is essentially just a little pump that pumps seawater into the boat at pressure. So you've got a clean, nice, keep it clean, s- nice squirty hose mm. to squirt off gunk. So and, you don't have to be a grub all the time. No, don't be a grub. No, no, don't anyone, be a grub. So uh, anyone who ever catches squid will know that these are an absolute must. Absolutely, yeah, you got to get onto yep. the ink before it dries. <laughs> yes. Deck wash out, squirt the ink off. Um, you know, a lot, again, you can have a whole plumbing system in your boat. You can have a live bait. Um, yep. Tank plumbed in as well, which is if you're into live baiting, very very good. Yep. But it, it sort of again, it's just a little pump that yep. uh, that runs. Yep. And all this stuff not freely available, but easily available at your local chandlery. And fitting it up is not difficult. It's a bit of a leap of faith taking a hole saw to your boat, um, and that's typically what boats <laughs> boat fit out is. You know, you're cutting. Uh, reasonably large apertures in your boat to put in rod holders and things like that. If you're going to put in any skin fittings, you know, that let seawater into your boat, one little point I would give you is um, have some way of turning that off. So if the hose comes off, your boat doesn't just sink, so you can turn your skin fittings off. Is that a seacock? A seacock, Andrew. Yeah, yep, seacock that's what they call it in thing. the... Yeah, uh, I'd have a few seacocks in, in the bottom oh, of my I don't boat. doubt you would. <laughs> and look, the other thing uh, is a nice watertight spot to put your phone or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's George. a good one. That's a good yeah. one, and I yeah. think that's something that... will save you in the long run. It will save you. Seems like a nothing thing, but it will save you when you get a bit of water on the, over the side. Hardy, back in the days when phones, you know, were... Particularly sensitive to water. It was almost an annual occurrence that Andrew would put his phone in the annual, esky. Bi-annual. Bi-annual. Quarterly. Um, <laughs> we killed, well, Andrew killed a lot of phones by putting them in ridiculous spots. So it's less of a problem now. I think they're a bit more robust. Look, there's a lot there. There's a lot to think about, but that's part of the fun, isn't it? When you get yeah. to that point of oh. owning a boat, it's time to start adding things and yep. upgrading things. It's fun. And you don't have to do it all at once. You know, this is the thing. No. It, can, it can be a decade's journey for you. You yes. can go, right, I want all this stuff, but obviously I can't go into the chandler and buy it all now, but, you know, I can buy a bit here and a bit there mm. and I can continually upgrade and make my boat better. Or maybe it's a little bit too much to think about and maybe a bit much to handle and you want to take a different path to getting onto the water, Nick, because believe it or not, there are other avenues than power boats. And in the next episode of Hook, Line and Sinker's Boat Shed, it's all about some of those other ways to get your fix on the water. Line and Sinker is presented by Nick Digan, Andrew Hart and Luke McCredden. Produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. <laughs>